Hey everybody, this is Greg, and before we get started with the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to two of our sponsors. The first is a company that is very close to my heart, Dominar Studios. They're the makers of the Cloud Agent Suite. Their flagship product, Cloud CMA, is used by over 500,000 real estate professionals all across the country, and their customers have published over 15 million Cloud CMA reports. Also check out CloudMLX, their front-end-of-choice solution, which won Inman News' Most Innovative Technology Award and has crossed over 200,000 MLS members under site license. You can find out more at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm excited to announce the Notorious VIP, a premium subscription service from Rob Hahn, also known as the Notorious ROB. Membership gives you subscriber-only content, both written and recorded, that is unavailable anywhere else. The difference between the Notorious ROB blog and the Notorious VIP is that VIP focuses on research and analysis, while the ROB blog focuses on commentary and op-ed. Notorious VIP is for those in organized real estate that want to go a few layers deeper. Please visit Notorious-ROB.com to find out more. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for listening. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is your co-host, the notorious Rob Hahn. I'm in my home study in Las Vegas and I can see on my screen that my co-host Greg is in his, what looks like a home study. How you doing, Greg? Hello, Rob. Hola, Greg. Hey, I got to ask you, what is that a Medusa in the painting behind you? Painting behind me? To the- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a collection of magic posters, you know, like the old school, like Harry Houdini. And oh, okay. Used to be a guy named Alexander. So it's. I see. Well, you you are a magical person, so oh, yeah. you know I, I appreciate that. But you know, you and I should actually just do a, a podcast where we bullshit each other. But uh, we actually have a special guest with us today, so we don't mm-hmm. want to waste his time. Uh, we wanted to invite Jack Ryan, the founder and CEO of Rex who has been in the news of late. And uh, I thought, you know what? Let's see if Jack wants to come on and just kind of tell us what's going on and tell us uh, what he's thinking. Jack, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for hey, having Jack. me. Hey, Jack. Welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Rob, Greg, I'm glad to be on it. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. And we'll see if we can have other surprise guests jump in on this as well. So like I said, Jack, I mean, you've been in the news of late. Uh, and I think I wrote something when I when I realized that Rex was actually the power behind the throne, if you will, when the DOJ sued NAR and then settled with him immediately. I'm sure you've been, I don't know if you've been hearing anything from the uh, industry as a result or not, but just kind of wanted to ask, like, how did all that come to be? You know, how, how did you get involved? How did all that, yeah, transpire? It all transpired pretty much from just looking at the industry from a distance but not a total distance. What I mean by that is I was at Goldman Sachs when we were using computers to reduce the price of shares being traded from 12 cents or 25 cents a share to almost zero today. Mm -hmm. And so it really was looking at one industry and saying, why isn't the same thing happening in this other industry? Now I know that's not a new thought, but the right. reason you really couldn't do it until four or five years ago was because you didn't have the ability to store infinite amounts of data. When we were at Goldman, there were 500 stocks we wanted to trade, basically. 
And so they had different dividends and different earnings, but there, it was you know fairly limited data set. And so you could say, well, we don't have to have a human called Fidelity to see if they want to share sell, uh, sell a million shares of IBM at 72 and a quarter. And all the shares are basically the same. With homes, as everybody knows on, the, on this podcast, you know, there's 150 odd million homes and there's you know 200 million possible buyers. And so the amount of data you have to store in order to do what happened in the residential in the stock brokerage business or the bond brokerage business or things like that, you had to be able to store infinite amounts of data. Well, that wasn't possible to do until we had you know the cloud. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden it was possible to do uh, in this industry what has happened to most all other industries because you can store the data really like a utility. Each additional piece of data you store doesn't really cost that much. And so I guess it really wasn't anything that no one thought about before, but there wasn't the means to do it until about five years ago because the data you had to store was just way too much given the cost structures of storing data until we had AWS and the rest. Right. Okay, so just in case anybody doesn't know, because chances are everyone listening to this podcast already knows, but just real quick, 30-second kind of review of Rex. Rex is a brokerage, right? Just give us a quick overview of the company. We're a full-service brokerage firm. Uh, we do everything that a normal brokerage firm would do. And we, from our you know, selfish point of view, think we do more. But the difference between us is everybody else in this industry uses the rules that are set by the MLS, some of them who are listening on this call, or the National Association of Realtors. And we find buyers and sellers without using that system. Of course, we put homes on Zillow and Trulia and homes.com and the rest. But a lot of it is is using real-time bidding, which is what happens in the stock auction business. Every time a stock goes up, you have 50 milliseconds to bid. And that same thing happens in the ad auction space. So we match buyers and sellers through collecting data, making predictions, deploying against the data, and then making our algorithms better and better and better. So basically, that's what it is. We do everything that a residential real estate agent would do, except we just do it without using the MLS in our system. We use it more as a kind of a neural network, is our network as a neural network, as opposed to the rows and columns you have in an MLS system. All right. So that's obviously one of the biggest things. Why, why not join the MLS, Jack? I mean, what, what is the big issue with it? Well, this goes to what many people I know understand, but you really can't change the outcome for a customer, the price or the service levels if you use the exact same process. So if you really want to change the way that customer experiences the home purchase, home sale, home ownership journey, if you want to change the cost structure, if you want to change the likelihood of certain outcomes, you you have to choose a totally different process. You really could not change the stock brokerage business if you said, we're wedded to the New York Stock Exchange floor broker circa 1990. High-frequency traders don't really use, in the sense that we're familiar with, the, high, you know, the floor person used to see, uh, maybe you still see them on you know, TV, it was mostly for show, that person in a jacket on the floor you know, buying shares. Hmm. You know, call, with, with phones on both sides of their head, right? <laughs> All those things you've seen before. Really, if you want to really dramatically transform the cost structure, change the process. And then, as you know, once you join the MLS and the NAR, they have very certain rules about how you're allowed to buy or sell homes. Right? There was that recent development in, on the West Coast where one of the uh, MLS members wanted to do coming soon. 
right? It was like, no, you can't do coming soon. That's not part of what the MLS process is. There's also a federal court case going on. But as you make, as you try to make changes, either one, the current regime doesn't allow you, the rule regime doesn't allow you to, or you can make a change that you think is really great for the customer and the regime could say, no, you can't do it that way. So if you really want to change the structure, you have to say, I, I'm not going to use uh, the, the, the customer experience. I, I can't use the same structure as everybody else. So, I mean, just I'm the, the new guy here on this stuff, stuff, right? So do I go to Rex and I can find homes on Rex? And then if I want to see them, you'll come and show them to me? Yeah. So everything you'd experience from a customer point of view is pretty much the same. But you can take 8% of the cost out because the robotic activities of a human, you don't want humans to do. You want to take the robot out of the human. So everything from how you schedule a tour to how do we predict who's going to buy or sell a home to doing the right thing at the right time in the right way every time. If you really want to have a scalable business, you have to abandon kind of the agent being a 1099 who works for a franchisee, works for a franchisor. And by culture and by law, you can't tell that person how to behave. Right. right. That just that just is a system that's not scalable. Yeah. So if you want a scalable system, you have the people doing what you're asking. We still have humans interacting with external humans at the right moment in the right way at the right time. But it's not kind of a matter of whatever you feel like. It's just like uh, the experience you get at uh, Neiman Marcus or some other development where, or Best Buy, where when you walk in, this is the customer experience. And it's true whether you're in Houston, Texas, or you're in Minnesota, or a suburb in Minnesota over here, or in downtown Minneapolis over there, all people act the exact same way. Now, hopefully, we have the humans making good, good uh, judgments based on what we call edge cases. But 90% of what happens when you buy a home pretty much happens with every home you sell. Now, it's not true for the you know, $30 million home versus maybe uh, a $30,000 home that's in dire need of huge repairs. But in the middle of the bell curve, almost all of the activities are the same. And you can standardize those and make them dramatically more efficient by taking the repetitive activities out of the human activity. Which allows humans to be better humans, by the way. Once you take you know, repetitive activities away from humans, they can do what humans do best. Have empathy, deal with edge cases, all the things that you know we were very good at. So workflow for if I'm you know on two sides. If I'm a buyer, I go to Rex.com and I, I can I see all the listings out there, or is, or is the workflow? I'm at Zillow, I see something I like, and then I call you guys. How how is that from a buyer's perspective? Okay, from a buyer's point of view, um, one buyers for homes that we're selling. That would be you come in through. We predict you're going to buy this home. We dropped an ad on you saying you should buy the specific home or these you know, three homes we think. And then you interact with us by emailing us, texting us, calling us, whatever. And we set up a tour for you. And, and we have a human there to see the tour, if you want a human there, right? Um, the second thing is um, you can, you know, you, you call it an agent, an agent calls us, et cetera. So you can do it that way. Um, and then the third thing is a buyer just wants to buy a home untethered to a home they want to sell. And we can help them pretty much buy any home. One of the barriers we had had was that super key, which the DOJ just resolved. So one of the questions that Rob said was, what was the catalyst for all this? You know, why, why, would, why were you going to the government for help? Well, there's a lot of things, some that have not, you know, uh, risen to the attention of the public yet. But one was that access to the lockbox. 
right? We we passed that never happens on this podcast or regulation in the state of California. <laughs> we passed the background checks. We have a license. Why are we not allowed to show the home? Why are we, why are we not allowed to get someone in the home? Right? Does that make any sense in a uh, Sherman Act way yeah. that we're allowed? We pass all the tests, but we're barred. I don't know if anybody's barring you. I mean, you just, I think it's pretty simple. You contact the listing agent and they let you in. Ah, I wish that were true. <laughs> they say, hey, I'd like to show this home. And they say, great, you know, you can get access to the super key. I'm not going to go out there to show the home. Now, put aside that strange. I thought the seller retained you to show the home. But okay, whatever, that's between you and your, and your seller. Let us in. Can we come in to see the home? Because you want to sell it, right? Yes, we do. Okay, we have a buyer for the home. Can we come in and see it? Yes, get your access to the super key. Well, we're not a member of the MLS, so we can't get access to the super key. Oh, that's a problem. No, you can't get access. What? I thought the whole point was getting more demand for the house. Why can't we get someone in there when we are a registered agent in California? We passed all the tests, all the background checks. Let us in. Nope, no access. Now, some will go out there and show the home. Some won't. But it shouldn't be a matter of choice about whether we can show a home or not. And they were making it that way. They're making it very difficult for us to get in to show a home. So it's one of the things the DOJ addressed was people who are not a member of the local MLS or NAR should be able to show a home if they pass the laws and pass the security backgrounds to do homes. You know, the NAR, the MLS, they may be offended, but you're a trade group. You're not the regulator of buying and selling of homes. Sorry if you felt differently about that, but that's who you are. You can't bar us from showing up. Right. So it's, I guess in some market, you're saying that it's um, around the country, it's not consistent. You can in some markets and, and, and it, might be, it might vary down to the agent or the brokerage, right? That are like either allowing you to come in and come and see it. And some are just barring you for whatever reasons of rules or regulations or whatnot. Yeah, I can't get all the intent. Maybe some people are very busy. Maybe some people don't want to see Rex be successful. Maybe it's designed at the MLS level, at the brokerage level, the agent level. Who knows? And I'm sure that the reasons are as varied as our people and organizations. But the problem was, especially in a you know, market like this, where homes are moving really fast, if it takes us five days to get someone to see a home, obviously that puts us at a big competitive disadvantage. That's one of the things the Department of Justice wanted to address. So I, I have to ask Jeff because you know maybe I know a little bit more because I've interviewed you before and I've been following Rex for a while and quite frankly like I'm, I'm one of your customers right I bought this house I'm sitting in right now using Rex but you know I can't help but feel that you're not really in this to make a lot of money you know what I mean like you, I, I know you talked about in terms of competitive advantage disadvantage but I can't help shake the feeling that you and and Rex I mean, of course, you'd like to make money. You know, you're, you're a for-profit company. You, know, you want to grow. You want to scale. But it feels like you actually just want to change the world as well. That almost <laughs> feels like a more primary motivation. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? Well, it's, it's nice of you to put it that way because it sounds like it's very ideological and selfless. So, of course, I want, I'd like to applaud your conclusion. But I would like to say that we would like to make money because we have shareholders. We like to make, you know, a, a fair amount of money. But the other reason is I'm one of the largest shareholders of the company. Now, the question is, once you create wealth, what you do with it? And so that is where maybe I fall on the side of don't really want to make money personally. So just as, as background, um, Rob, as, as you may have, maybe you and I have spoken about, I, you know, I left law school and business school. I graduated. I didn't leave. I graduated. I graduated law school. And business <laughs> you actually school. got degrees to show it. Yeah, I got degrees. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I left on my own accord. <laughs> I went to work in a refugee camp. Like now my people left law school and business school or graduated from those schools and went to work in a refugee camp. Then, because my whole life had been built toward the kind of, you know, back in, I'm so old, that back in the day, if you went to, you know, the schools, Rob, that you went to, you were kind of built for certain jobs. So I thought, well, I better, yep. you know, deploy that education against that um, end result. But then I was a partner at Goldman Sachs, and I'm not trying to spike the ball, but I was, you know, it was before and I, we went public. So we, did, we were doing really well. There was like 90, 100 of us, or 100 of us that basically owned Goldman. But I tell you that to get to this. So I left Goldman, though, to teach high school in the south side of Chicago, in the worst part of Chicago. Why would you do that? Well, because of the things that you just described. And one of the reasons to launch the business was we think that the industry is way out of sorts with the Internet era if we can transform the customer experience and make it so compelling that people you know, would like, this, like us to help them buy or sell homes or create wealth. What do we do with the wealth? Well, for every 50 homes at a corporate level, we build a home for a family or children that don't have one. And so we've built about 50 homes so far. I think we're getting up to the next closer to 100. But the, and the second thing, though, is that uh, my wife and I have taken our stock and put it uh, almost exclusively against the building of boarding schools for kids who lost access to their parents. But who could be a Rob Hahn? There's a lot of things, a lot of services to help, you know, the kid who um, has various issues. What do you do if you're Rob Hahn, though, and you're growing up in rural Nebraska and you could be as distinguished as you? What happens if you, if you don't have parents because of death or drugs or uh, they're in the uh, criminal system? You're kind of just you don't have a choice. What I learned when I was at when I was the refugee camp and teaching high school is you got to give people a stable place to live. Uh, surround them with people who care about them and then set the bar really high so that you can become a Rob Hahn. Anyway, so sorry for the long background, but you asked me, why are you doing this? If we create great wealth in the stock, that means that we could build tons and tons of boarding schools for kids who could yeah. be you, Rob. So yeah, that's but what Jack, y'all yeah. could build far greater wealth if you played along with the system. Right. I mean, if you joined the MLS, if you started doing cooperative compensation and then brought in all of this additional leverage and AI and all this stuff, you could build a lot more wealth. The reason why I mentioned that is because when I look at the industry as a whole, I think there are three individuals that I think are in it for non-financial reasons. I think it's you. I think it's uh, Eric Wu at Open Door, And I think it's Rich Barton at Zillow. And all three of you guys, for me, from where I sit, feel like yeah, you want to do all these other wonderful things. You want to build wealth. You want to make money. But there is this element of how do we fundamentally change the system? How do we fundamentally change the industry as a whole? You know, and I guess that's kind of, so I'm putting kind of on the spot. It feels like that's what you and Rex are about, which explains why you got involved with the Department of Justice as a fairly small company. I mean, am I wrong in thinking that? Like, that's not well, crazy, right? Rob, I have really good news for some of your listeners. You know, one is as, as these commissions come down, and they will, and it's not that us is doing it, it's the internet. In, in the era of the internet, if you are a middleman, the internet's putting your job uh, at some in some pressure, right? And it's happened across every other industry. It's not us, it's the internet and AI that's doing it. Uh, but having said that, imagine a world in which these commissions do drop, and they are going to drop, and, and you know, I think fairly substantially. One is uh, what, what does that mean for the people that's on this call? It's actually not that all that bad news. Why would that be? Well, when I was you know, on, on, well, on Wall Street uh, trading shares, a good day on the New York Stock Exchange when we had charged 12 to 25 cents was like 40 million shares, 100 million shares traded a day. Like 100 million shares, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Now it's like 8 billion. 
And so as you bring the price of the transactions down, guess what happens? Transactions go way up. It, you know, we, the price went from 12 cents to 8 cents. You know, it was an improvement. The transactions went up. But as you, it's not linear. As the, as, the, as the price comes down further and further, the transactions go way, 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 way up. So what's going to happen is the, fi the fees will get lower, but there'll be a lot more transactions occurring, a lot more. Imagine a world where, you know, just to take a hypothetical, it's free to move about the country. You know, and it won't always be free, but I'm just taking an extreme example and bringing it back to kind of the middle ground. Okay. There's going to be a lot more transactions. How many homes should trade per year to if there weren't these kind of restraints? I don't know, 12 million, 15 million? Imagine a world where the, the homes just double, you know, the number of homes traded doubles. The second thing that happens when you drive transactions costs down is the value of the underlying asset goes up, right? You know, people talk about the PE ratios that existed, you know, post pre the commissions coming down. But when you take the friction out of trading an asset, the value of the underlying asset goes up, right? So what's also going to happen is the notional amount by which people charge the commission is going to go up also when people don't say, gosh, I got to, you know, live in this home for five years or four years to break even or something. Um, the value of that asset just went up. Anyway, so there's countervailing forces before people say, oh, this is horrible. That's actually going to be good for the realty business. Now, there will be consolidation, of course, but you know, change is good for a lot of people all, other than those who are trying to resist it. It's going to be very good for, I think, most firms in this space. But I mean, the, the friction level of selling a home has, you know, is way astronomically harder than, than a stock, of course. And you know this. I, I, I know you know this. I mean, how... How do you make those things match? I mean, there's maybe it's 5 million homes sold a year, you know, to triple that. I mean, just moving is a pain in the ass, right? I mean, and, you know, I don't care what kind of neural network you have. My wife has got to walk in a home and go, okay, this feels right. And I'm not sure that can be taken over by a computer or anything else. So I understand that there's a problem with mobility and, and, and I think mobility should increase, but even driving down the price of doing that, the transaction price, there's still a lot of friction there that has to be come over to really make any significant difference. I guess you're saying it's bigger, that, that, that difference, that delta is going to be much bigger than people think. Yeah, I think so. And the other thing, saying that one thing can't be done without human doesn't mean all things can't be done without human. So I, I will grant you, of course, that I, could, I myself couldn't walk into a house and say, or I couldn't buy a house without walking into it. I need to kind of feel the space and see the light and you know, get a sense for what my physical space, my overly lanky body, how that would fit into the space. It's hard to do that when you're uh, just looking at a video, no matter how good it is. I get that. <laughs> but a lot of the friction is because of this kind of balkanization of the industry, which is not only the balkanization of the realtor themselves or the agent themselves, uh, where one person is supposed to be expert in everything from negotiation to marketing to, you know, preparing the home for sale, et cetera. Um, doesn't make sense, you know, that one person could play every position very effectively. It doesn't work in sports, doesn't work in business. Why would it work at the sale of the home? So part of that is that issue. But, this, but more importantly, it's the other issue you talked about, like you said, well, moving and mortgage and this thing called escrow and the inspection. There's all this like things that have to happen where all of a sudden you, Greg, have to be an expert in all these different areas. Well, that's just a function of the RESPA laws, right? That's a function of RESPA saying, hey, you know, if you're a 1099, I'm going to shorthand this. So for all the lawyers out there who are listening, please don't send me letters saying you don't have this exact right. In the interest of time, let me just try to summarize this, and it's not going to be exactly correct. It won't, <laughs> it won't be exactly correct. But, 
But, uh, you know, the rest of the law says, of course, you know, they can't get any you know, commission from other transaction that closes at that moment. And so bizarrely, you go to buy a home, then you yourself have to go find a mortgage person and you yourself have to be an expert in insurance. And then suddenly you, Greg, are supposed to understand where you should get escrow and title services from. How do you even shop for uh, escrow services, Greg? You've been around for a long time. What do you call up like, how much for an escrow today? Like, you know, every person's kind of, a, there's all this friction because all of a sudden there's the expert at all these services that occur at the moment of the transaction. You only do it once every seven or nine years, right? So we do, of course, like many people are doing, we do all that for you. Like, you know, saying you want to move your home. Okay, great. Just go to your app. And what time do you want the mover? Here's four quotes. And yes, if you want any one of those, or you want us to get more quotes for you. Um, if you want, here's, here's five minute escrows. We like this escrow company, but here's other ones. And by the way, just push the notification on the phone and we'll have the inspection done. You can show up and no need for us to call five people. It's all being done by text in the background with a round robin of saying, are you available at this time? It's a function of the existing industry, which is why you have to change the entire thing to make it less frictionful. I'm not sure that frictionful is a word. Rob went to Yale. He probably says, no, it's not a, it's not a word. <laughs> it is not. Uh, it is what we just made. We just made one up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I think a lot of the friction, once again, is because once you buy into the system that everything has to be done in a certain way in terms of the sale of the home, and then the other things have to happen in the same way it's happened in the last 40 or 50 years, where they're all separately siloed activities, of course makes it frictionful. But if you just did everything off your phone with a push notification saying, hey, uh, you're in an escrow for three days, we don't see that your insurance has arrived, can we help you with that? Or can you, you know, push this button if you'd like us to reach out to the firm that you used in the prior transaction? That's just a push notification. You know, what we're talking about here, these are the same business models I've been hearing from everybody. It's just all about getting the transaction and doing attachments, right? You know, what's your attach rate on mortgage, title, everything else, right? That seems where everywhere is going. In the model here with Jack, it's this other kind of twist where there's no MLS affiliation. It's not right. true, right? So, for Jack, uh, you know, I talked about the buy side. I'm a seller. Let's say I'm selling my house here in, in Orange County, right? A, a yeah. Five. Uh-huh. Why should I go with Rex? Well, one, of course, is the fee. Right. So, so the biggest thing here so far is just it's going to be a cost savings, right? Well, on, well one, on, two. What magnitude, what magnitude of, of cost savings can I? Well, it's 70, you know, on the order of 60 to 70% less. So as, let's say you're, if you're in Orange County and the home is $800,000 and so you're paying $16,000, $48,000. So it's like $30,000 after tax uh, savings. Um, so it's, you know, real money. In some states that, yeah, that difference is half a year's earning for the average American in that state. It's real, real money. So that's one. But this is going to shock and amaze people. and They're not going to want to, to believe this. Uh, but really, we I'd say the price is really secondary. It's really the level of service you get because we can control, because all of our people are W-2s, the level of service one gets in Orange County. It's not a, uh, and, and it's really hard. I would never want to be able to manage a brokerage business where you have you know 50 people in your office and they're all doing business their own way, right? And some people do it a really do a really great job. And there's other people, as we all know, who not so much. But what do you really do about that, right? I mean, do you say, well, you can't be at this firm anymore and you'll take your business elsewhere? Or do you just keep hanging around thinking, well, they pay me 30% of whatever fees they generate, so I'll tolerate it. You know, and we all know we got to pay the mortgage, so we know how that decision is usually made, not always. I'm not saying everyone does it that way. The thing of this is that the thing is totally different also. All of our people are W-2s. And when we work with Greg Robertson, these are things that you must do at these moments. 
And sometimes they change based upon the AI. They change based upon what you did yesterday. And this is called AI with humans in the loop. One is the human just with their own intuition and knowledge saying, I better call Rob today. But the second thing is we push a notification to their phone or to you, Greg, directly to your phone, saying there's here's three homes that traded under within three blocks of you in the last four days. You, this might be of interest to you. Would you like to increase the price because they went for higher prices than we thought? Maybe we, this is a high, this is a crazy idea. Uh, an agent or a broker or whatever you want to call us saying, hey, how about increasing the price of your home? The recent data shows us that we may have underpriced the home because you know, it's been hard to catch up the last six months because of the, the appreciation of homes is going up so fast. And when you're, when you're using the data in the last six months, there's always a, a time lag. That means your current data is out of sync with the positive data. So it's not, I'm, talking, I'm talking about real cases. Hey, based on the real data, this talks about better service, we push this to your phone. Uh, you can change the price on your phone if you'd like. And we think you might need to increase it or we'll do it for you or we should have a conversation. And where do you sit on that frontier you have in your own head about speed of transaction, the price of the home uh, and certainty? Uh, because if you're thinking more about the price of the home and less about the certainty, maybe we should bump it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I had that, you know, I have an experience like that. I mean, I had Maggie Etheridge here. She's a great agent, been around for a while, and everything was taken care of. I just, this is the house I want. And yeah. Well, Maggie, like, I don't think she has anything to worry about. Like, you know, I don't know Maggie, but you say she's great, so I take your word for it. I mean, she, she's flying that great level of service. I mean, you know, imagine that you had the very best agent in your office, and they always do the right thing in the right way at the right time, right? They're always doing it. And they and then say, okay, we're going to make sure everyone gets that standard. And we can, we can see every day if you're at that standard or not. Because everything you're doing is, you know, on our phone. We can see if you're doing it or not. So imagine everyone like Maggie doing that job every single day. Or we have a conversation and saying, hey, this is the standard. We need to get you up to the standard. How do we get you up to the standard? Anyway, so part of it is this is going to shock people because everyone says, oh, there's a discount broker out there doing their own little thing. Don't worry about that. Well, we think we're, we've got better service. Now, I know that people at other firms will say, no, our service is better. But, you know, we think we have the data to prove it because we can see what our people are doing every single day. So here's the thing, Jack. I mean, what you said, I mean, that sounds like Redfin to me, right? So the difference between you guys and Redfin <clears throat> really is that you're not part of the MLS. And I think you've once phrased that you don't want to play the, the games you know, that Redfin ended up having to play. So I suppose that, and, and given the audience who's going to be listening to this, right? There are a lot of them are MLS executives. A lot of them are MLS board members. You know, they're association execs. And I feel like they believe whether rightly or wrongly, and quite frankly, it could be right, that you and Rex are sort of hostile to the MLS and to, the, to organized real estate. Like, number one, are, is that true? Are you hostile? And number two, what would have to change for you to not be hostile, like for you to embrace the MLS, to embrace that whole system? Well, let me talk about us. I'm Red, as I'm Redfin, I don't really know what they're doing, but I don't view them as hostile. I mean, they're part of the MLS. No, not Redfin, right. Exactly. They're part of the National Association of Realtors. Exactly. You know, to us, yeah. it's like to us, and this could be totally wrong, could be our perspective because we're so far off that continent. But we look at Redfin and Coldwell Banker and Keller Williams and all of those firms out there as substantially similar. Now, from a price point of view, Redfin may say, well, we're this kind of price of half of it. So when you list a home, it's the only one and a half percent depending on the jurisdiction. But on the, on the buy side, it's two and a half percent or something. I don't know. Misspeculating. With a rebate. 
No, with a rebate. And they also do W-2 employees. So they say, we're going to maintain this real high level of service. Like, so that part is identical to you. The difference between Redfin and Rex is Redfin is part of the MLS, right? Redfin is a realtor organization. You are not. And I think a lot of the MLS people look at Rex, especially when they go, oh, these guys are the ones who sick the DOJ on us. And they feel that you're hostile to them. Right. So I guess well, my so question. Let me actually speak about Redfin rather than to say, I, I, you know, I would challenge you in the facts about whether they're in the same price zone as we, we are in terms of the oftentimes discount one side of the transaction, unless you're also using them on the other side of the transaction. But having said that, mm-hmm. I, once, I, once you join the MLS, as I said, are they going to uh, stop using that the system where if you hire someone to sell a home, you must also at the same moment hire someone to help you buy a home? You have to help hire a buyer's agent. In what world does that make sense? Can the plaintiff's attorney pay the defendant attorney representing the other side? Can Goldman Sachs pay Morgan Stanley representing the other side? All the inherent conflict of interests are so intense that if I were to do that in a legal context, I would be calling you right now, you know, for my one minute phone call per day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, because, the, because the conflicts are so intense, right? right. Uh, and the second thing is we all know and, we, and all, there's all the videos on YouTube that everyone can see, including, I guarantee you, the people who regulate this industry in Washington, D.C., all the coaching that says, hey, when you list a home, you better pay the 2 percent 3% fee on the buy side, else some buyer you don't know who may need some level of services you don't know may decide that, you know, they're not, this agent's not going to show you that home. Well, of course, that was what the Sherman Act was designed to prevent. Then, you know, if you want to design a full employment act for lawyers, you would say, hey, every time you hire a plaintiff's lawyer, you must also agree to pay for a defendant's lawyer on the other side, right? Or every time you hire Goldman Sachs, you must also pay for Morgan Stanley. And by the way, the price you pay for Morgan Stanley has to be set at the moment that you get retained by the, your bus outside client. And you better set a really high price because you don't know what price Morgan Stanley is going to work. So you better put a high price out there. I, I always say it so generally, of course it's preposterous. Of course it makes no sense. But when you say, are we substantially similar to Redfin? No, because we're saying that that whole system, that's just one example of some of the rules around for 70 years or 50 or 30, depending upon the MLS you know, time it was formed or the rule. There's tons of rules like that that prevent you from doing things that you have to do if you want to create a better experience at a lower cost with a better outcome. So, but, but I mean, let's, that's you know, hopefully now going away. And, and you've had an influence in that. Does that, having that influence and seeing those things being part of uh, policy now, does that give you pause to say, well, maybe we can, you know, n- now, now because of these things that are being changed that we, we, we feel more comfortable joining the MLS? We know what, you know, if they were to drop a lot of the rules that they have about how you're allowed to sell homes, of course we would join the MLS, that'd be great. And what By the way, the, even, that, I have to say, even that is bizarre when you look at it from the outside world, that a, the trade group sets the terms upon which you're allowed to provide the service. Can car dealers do that? Can they all get together and say, hey, here's how we're going to sell cars. We all agree. Yes, we all agree. Okay, that's the plan. Like you can't. That's a problem, right? You're allowed to lobby as a group and things like that. But as soon as you set the, set, set the terms of competition, of course there's a problem, right? So if they were to stop setting the terms of competition, let's say we had an idea like the realtors in, in California that we want to do coming soon or something. And then, the, you know, as you saw, the NARA shut it down. 
right? Even if, would you also give up your rulemaking authority? So if we would do something innovative that's for the benefit of the consumer, for the benefit of the consumer, could we do it? Or would you intervene and say, can't do it that way because the rest of us don't agree with it? So that's why if they were to give out, give away the rulemaking authority, just like the National Association of Car Dealers can't say this is the way you're allowed to sell a home, of course we would join. We'd love to join. But as soon as you start saying there's the rules by which you all can compete, ah, man, this feels like a, it doesn't feel like a good place for us to be. So let me, in the 10 minutes or so that we have left, <clears throat> I want to ask you about, and I told Mike earlier that I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. I think one of the perceptions, Jack, of Rex, you know, sort of in the last couple of years, to the extent that people know about you guys, yeah. is that you're just criticizing and attacking and, you know, you want to bring down this rulemaking, you want to break the monopoly, et cetera, et cetera. What's unclear is what is the vision then, right? So in other words, like, let's say you're successful in everything you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. What does that future look like? Well, like, you know, you I always have really to right one. It's such a great bright one. And I, I think that if uh, the National Association of Realtors and MLS got their heads around this, they'd be like, oh my gosh, we should hurry up. Um, and I, what I mean by that is not only will the volume of homes go way up and the price of homes will go, will go way up, but just imagine when, when uh, the Board of Trade, for instance, that used to you know, sell commodities in Chicago or the Merck, you had to buy a seat on those exchanges to uh, participate, to trade, so to speak. Right. And you bought a seat for like $200,000. Uh, and that was kind of the entry. And they regulated how you would do that business, the trading of, of your commodities or stocks or options or something. But then what happened is they said, you know what, we're going to turn ourselves, the Merck Board of Trade, into a system of information. We're not going to try to regulate how, you know, buying or selling or hours a day or all the th things we used to as much as we tried to before. But we'll just create the system of information, which in the data world is so valuable. So, you know, the ICE bought up many of these companies. What's their market cap today? Somewhere between 75 and $100 billion. Mm -hmm. When you traded in your seat at the Board of Trade for, you got stock in this entity, you probably got like a million dollars worth of stock. What's that stock worth today? About $20 million. So in terms of what was the consumer experience, the consumer, let's just go through all the kind of the stakeholders. One, if you're a member of the board of trade that, you know, has these seats, that has the information, I think the information is going to be very valuable to lots of people. And if they stop trying to control it, but let it be free, like everything else has happened in the 21st century, they're going to find great value, just like all the electronic exchanges have had across, you know, every other industry. And by the way, there doesn't have to be one. There's a NASDAQ, there's a New York Stock Exchange, and they're all, you know, all these exchanges are worth a lot of money because the volume of, tra of trades goes up and they have the information, they share the information and for pennies, but it's really valuable. So I think from their point of view, they're saying, oh, I get it. No longer should we try to regulate the terms of competition. Let's be the source of information and sell the information to everybody who comes by and just give it, you know, in seconds, they'll be very valuable. Second okay. thing, from a consumer point of view, as we said, the fees will drop. And imagine a world where you can you know, move to Colorado because you've had a grandchild or you all move from Michigan to Austin because you, know, you can get a better job there. And the value of your home in Michigan is worth the mortgage today. And if you, you can't move because you can't pay the 5 or 6% fee, right? You have to come to cash. Somehow you can't, right? Job mobility. Let's say you want to go to a school. You want to move to a different school because it's you know, where you live dictates where you're kicking go to school. That's better. Um, think about all the trades. You know, I said that the volume of homes traded will go from you know six million homes to twelve or fifteen or some number. It's hard to imagine. 
but you know, electricians, carpenters, plumbers, they all cluster their jobs around the trading of homes. Those industries are all being suppressed, mortgage origination because of the huge fees, right? Tax revenues, most cities get tax revenue when homes close, which funds teachers and firefighters and you know, uh, police people. Anyway, so that all gets better. So in, in May, and then the wealth appreciation, Rob, you're not gonna remember this, but when I started on Wall Street, there was a 6% load before you could buy a mutual fund. Right now that there's ETF, right? It's zero. It's like, oh, if you wanna buy into my small cap fund, there's a 6% load. What'd that do for wealth appreciation? Right? There's a lot of talk about the inequities of what happens with lower middle-class Americans or people of color, but that load is constraining the, one of the two best ways to create value in America. One is buying you know, equities, and another thing is buying a home because that's that super low. So from a consumer point of view, things get you know, a, um, a lot better. And then, of course, from uh, just you know, the free flow of information and innovation, once the rules come off, there'll be no stopping the flow of information and innovation that occurs to make this industry better. So what Greg said before, which is, man, this is a really hard process. Yeah, it's hard because it's been designed to be hard for the last 50 years, not in this new world that we're heading to. And what do you, how long do you think it's going to take to get to your, this new world? I don't know. You know, the question, that's a really good question. You know, the 1995 or six, by the way, uh, we uh, wrote a, a note on clear cap. Um, Real clear capital. Real clear capital. Hey, in 1995, it was crazy. We, we, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't trade shares in eights, like you were verboten, you, know, you were unprofessional, right? And then of course it was a way to maintain the fees, but it took you know, 1995 to 2000 for the, you know, Robin Hoods of the world or E-Trades or Schwab to uh, get the fees to go way down. Whether it's going to happen faster or not in the next world, this world, I don't know. But I don't know if it's five or 10 years or 15 years, but it's going to happen every year. It's going to get a little bit different, a little bit different, a little bit different. It won't happen in one day. And suddenly the world I just described has arrived. Yeah, You know, it's this is, this is reminding me of... <laughs> And, and and I don't know if he'll, if you guys recognize the reference, but I was at an Inman conference, right? And this is 2007, six-ish, seven-ish, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and Nurio Robini was talking, who I think is known as Dr. Doom. And he was basically <laughs> saying in the crowd, this, this whole thing is over with. Yeah, I remember that. And it really hadn't hit, right? The whole real estate crisis, right? And I'm like, I'm in the audience. I'm watching this guy. And he's, and he's given these really, really solid reasons why we're fucked, right? I mean, the housing industry is fucked because of the, you know, the CDP. I, I can't even remember. Thank God I, I forgot all those acronyms. You know, credit <laughs> default swaps and everything else. Yeah. And I, I just looked over to the guy. I didn't even know the guy next to me. I go, I want to go home and hug my kids. <laughs> you know? well, hey, well, so it's like a Jack's talking here now. I'm getting those same kind of feels, bro. <laughs> well, Greg, feels go like, home and hug your kids I, I'm at home. I'm at, I can go downstairs and hug him right now, Jack. <laughs> well, go, go hug him with joy. Uh, don't hug him out of sadness because really, I'm not kidding you. What's, what's going to happen is, is, as I mentioned before, and I'm sorry to say it three times, if you're an efficient real estate residential real estate agent, there's going to be plenty of transactions to occur at whatever fee you want to charge as long as you're providing a service at that level. And so, uh, and there'll be a lot more transactions and the value of transactions will go up. It won't be so hard to think, gosh, should I move from this part of Texas to another? Who cares? Go ahead and do it. Well, Why I can, is it, you know, I can it, should see. A, it should be as simple as renting, a, renting an apartment. It shouldn't be yeah. this. I think, there's, I think there's an argument to say if the number of transactions go up like that higher, you know, that you might even see more agents. If they're, if they're empowered to be more, 
efficient, I guess, you know, in, in your case, that's, that's your differentiator because if they're part of you, you're making that happen. It might still be harder. For, well, I guess if, if we're getting there, some of those things have got to trickle out so that it's going to be easier to join organizations that have taken advantage of all this, this type of uh, automation and, and big data and everything else. Do you think there could be because of the rise of transaction, more agents yes. are now? Right. This is why you should go downstairs, have your kids with joy. What's going to happen is that, it, uh, that the, the platform you'll use, and I'm talking about anyone, not you, Craig, the platform a, a broker will use will be a SaaS platform, a SaaS meaning like Oracle or SAP or something. And you'll do all the great things that a human would do on a transaction, but your back end will be generated by you know, Microsoft or SAP or Rex, and we'll say, look, we do all this stuff with big data right now. We can deploy that, think those things to you right now, Greg, and have you do it. In fact, some of the people who listen to this call, they say, hey, can we use your platform to be, you know, run our system? And it's not that expensive to do it. So now you're going to go from, and Greg, I'm sorry, I don't know if you're, you have a franchisee or your own firm, but if you're, you know, if you're paying, you know, 20% of your revenues to some person who's license, licensing their name, and providing some level of service to you, but who knows how much it is. I'm not going to speculate if it's really good or really poor. I don't know. But it's going to move to a SaaS-based system where all those things I just talked about, we're doing at Rex, it's going to be like flipping a switch and you can put it on your little brokerage room, not little, big brokerage room or little brokerage room if you want. It sounds like an MLS. Right, but without all these rules and every restrictions, all you have to do is like, and by the way, there'll be five different people promoting a platform just like SAP and Salesforce and IBM saying, hey, would you put on our platform? And then you'll drive the price on. So I'll pay $300 a month for it, but not $400. I'm not screwing around. At $400, I'm going to use somebody else. And it will keep all your back end for you, push the notifications that I said we push to our people, to you, and say, hey, it turns out that uh, one of your sellers like documents didn't arrive, you know, push this button, we'll send a notification to their phone that they still haven't got the HOA agreement in and you need our help to do it. Meaning our Greg's help to do it, not, you know, the back end, but Greg's help to do it. And we're like, oh, Greg's on top of it. How do you know? It's crazy. How did Greg know that? What a great service. And then maybe, <laughs> and by the way, Greg, what's going to happen too is this is called AI with humans in the loop. One thing is you just push a notification to your phone. That's just AI. AI with humans in the loop is, hey, hey, Greg, the person that you know is supposed to close on the mortgage, they told you that a mortgage, the mortgage hasn't shown up yet. Call your, your customer and see if they really do have a mortgage or whether it was just one of those you know, pre-approval letters that some banks use just to keep an option on getting the loan later. Then you say, great, I got my house. You know, where's my loan? I'm like, oh, now we'll see if you're ready for you to qualify. You know, all the craziness we know goes on. But the AI with humans in the loop is, hey, Greg, push notification to your phone. Call your human consumer because we don't see their mortgage. And our prediction is the week after the home is closed, Citibank is, or someone, is choking on the mortgage. And, and then, Greg, you're going to call them and say, hey, I, I have a feeling Citibank's choking on the mortgage. It's really odd that a week after the you know, escrow, we don't see the documents. Can I help you? I'm like, man, Greg, how did you know? Number one, two, yes, you can help me. I'm a little scared. They just called me yesterday to say that, you know, that the last, we're missing a W-2 or something. I'm not going to give you the loan unless I have the W-2. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg, for saving my day. Yay, yay, Greg. So I, I think you should go down, I should, Greg, I think you should go down and hug your kids because I think it's going to make your job much more fun because you'll do the things that humans can do best. Second, you do a lot more transactions um, and you'll be a better service to your customer. And by the way, for someone like you, Greg, I don't think the fees may change that much. Not for the run-of-the-mill transaction, of course the fees will come down. <laughs> but there'll be different levels of services. Just like, you know, you go, I was going to buy uh, 
Uh, I'm sorry, you gotta, I gotta go, Rob. I'm Rob on a roll. I'm I know. So I'm, here, roll. I'm, I'm trying to interrupt right you now. because I promised your people to let you go at three thirty, and it's three thirty-two, and they're gonna kill me. And uh, by the way, Greg, Greg is uh, one of the vendors, one of the premier vendors. Yeah, in our I sell software so. to MLSs, so <laughs> yeah, he knows SaaS. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Greg. So you should correct me. Thank you for not getting my pointing out saying Jack wrong about this. this. I'm talking in, in big generalities. No, I, no, I, I, get, I get it. I mean, it's I, totally cool. I totally understand. Totally. Okay. Okay. However, Greg, however, since, since we are running over, and I've promised that I would give you all this opportunity, which is in the before you are actually get hustled out of your conference room. What's next for Rex? What can we expect from you all? Okay, but I just want to finish off the good news for Greg. Can I give Greg some more good news? 20, so uh, give it to me. Greg, the more good news is, you know, I was in um, Target this weekend because I had to get shampoo. Do you know how many different levels of shampoo? I had no idea because, you know, you'll say, Jack, why aren't you shopping for shampoo more often? I have no idea. But anyway, women with dandruff, women with uh, dyed hair, women with dandruff and dyed hair, men with like want no scent, no the scent with dandruff. I mean, there's so many different things. And that, and that market size is like, you know, $100, $200 million a year. Wait until a $1.5 trillion industry gets to service their customer in the way they want. Greg's going to be the person who provides all this awesome service that you know, some people can never do. He's going to come by your house once we check on you just to see how you're doing. And he's going to charge this percent. And there'll be someone like Suave that's going to charge this much. And there's going to be a, like, um, Rob, I, I don't want to invoke uh, the principles of, you know, some country that is a, a socialist country, but let a thousand flowers bloom. <laughs> as, as opposed to, you know, this kind of like rule, rule on a high where you must do it this way. Greg's going to be able to design a business that he wants to do. Rob's going to do a business that he wants to do. Jackson do a business he wants to do. And the great news for all the MLSs is they become a flow of information. We'll all have to tap into the MLS and they're going to make tons of money if they would just let Greg and Jack and Rob do what we want to do and be a system of information and let us, you know, design our shampoo for this specific demographic. It's, all, it's, it's just modular. It's modularity like is king. Yeah. It's transaction of choice, Rob, instead of front end of choice, right? That's All right. What to. Interesting. It's going to be so great, Rob. What's coming next for Rex? By the way, Greg, you are welcome for all this. You are very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next thing for Rex is, uh, you know, we're opening uh, ten cities next year. We're still growing pretty fast in our markets. We had a pretty good year. It was a COVID year, but we still grew about seventy percent. So that's good news. Uh, we're getting better every day in terms of things I said that our AI is doing to predict person people's behavior based upon you know data we have. All right. Anyway, so I, I'm, it's, it's all getting better every day. Get better every day. Get before every day. I before I'm forced to let you go, I have to ask you this question: The system that you just described is that available for sale or license to real estate brokers and agents today? I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do it soon. And here's the thing: it gets better every single day. Can I give you a short talk about artificial intelligence? It's, it's, hey, we'll, we'll keep, I mean, it's your people <laughs> are going to come in and hustle you out of that room, not, not us. <laughs> uh, not for VIPs like the two of you. Like, they they got to back off. <laughs> hey, you know, basically all artificial intelligence is really four things. Can they perceive the facts? And then really, they should call it artificial intelligence. They just should call it intelligence, like what you and I do, Robbie, or, or, or Greg. One, can you perceive the facts? Two, can you make a judgment based upon the facts? Right? Can you do something about it? Three, can you take action based upon the judgment? Now, the fourth thing is you need an energy system. Like, you, you know, you and I have to eat, the computer needs electricity, but all it is is doing what humans do. So I don't know why they even call it artificial intelligence. It's just be intelligence. 
Now, there's a lot of things that the computer can't do, like, you know, talk to Greg about the things we're talking about right now. It's, there's too many edge cases around it. A lot of things can be done. But that, that ability, that intelligence is self-reinforcing. We deploy, we learn from deployment, the computer changes its algorithm, it deploys, learns again, deploys, learns again, deploys, learns again. It's kind of like in the beat, it's growing every day, getting smarter every day. So um, in terms of what you said, what's next, it's really just getting better and better at building the brain that's, it's, that's really gathering the data. By the way, if you teach a computer, you know, if you give them the data, you feed it for a day. If you teach it how to get data, you, you know, it feeds itself for a life. So, hey, design the computer so it can get data on its own, right? Then it has to do algorithms to say, what does this data mean? Some of them are non-obvious, right? It could be that, hmm, I see a lot of pictures and that a lot of books behind Rob there and that photograph there because the computer can identify those are books. And it seems like this house over here is designed for a bibliophile, which is a Yale word, Rob. I just want to drop it on you so I can act like an equivalent to you. But let's say this is a bibliophile over here, right? So that's that's the, the computer saying, okay, we understand that Rob likes books. And so, okay, what do we do about it? Okay, deploy against this. This is a house a house for him. And then it learns and learns and learns because we throw all these pictures to Rob of, of a book, of a, of a den, and he keeps not clicking on it. And then we realize, although it's just the books from, you know, some, you know, he's, he's just trying to carry them like around. Comic because his, they're, they're yeah, comic his wife books. won't let him, you know, get rid of them because it reminds him of their days back at, you know, whatever you guys do on the <laughs> campuses. And then, you know, so that it's emotional attachment, not a real attachment. But anyway, all I want to say is this idea about artificial intelligence, it's going to be more and more empowering Greg to do what he should do best. And just but the key thing is what's happened next. It gets smarter every single day on its own. Okay, I will stop with that. But it, yeah, <laughs> we, so we'll, we'll probably will be deploying it soon to, to, to help other agents. And so we do like other agents and we do like, uh, we think that a million flowers will bloom. The only thing we think is not going to work is this like, you must decentralize, you must, must do it this way based on the rules we came up with at Command Central. All right. Uh, like I promised all your people, we're going to let you go, okay. uh, Jack. And I think maybe, Greg, you and I should hang out for a couple minutes and, and debrief. This, this is an incredible amount to absorb. So uh, let me thank you, Jack, for uh, sparing the time to speak with us. This has been uh, awesome, fascinating. Uh, God, I wish you were a little less, you know, could be a little bit more energetic. I don't, you know, next time if you could bring... <laughs> <laughs> hey you know what this it really will be good for the world it's gonna be good for brokers it's, it really will be uh it will be good for most brokers now for those who want change it's not going to be nice right but for those who are okay with change it's going to provide all sorts of opportunities it's going to be good for the american consumer it's going to be good for society at large people can move to the job that's best for them and then if we're successful in part because some other realtors are using a platform that they could use off of us. Hey, great. What are we going to do with it? We're going to build homes and schools for kids who could be robbed but lost their parents in early age. That's we're going, that's that's our that's our why. That's why we're doing it. In addition to you know making the economy much better because you can move anywhere you want without making like like uh, Craig said before, like oh my gosh, how do I do all this stuff? It's just a big mess. Anyway, it'll, it'll just get you know. I think there's I think it's win 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 win. Awesome. That's my, well, that's thank my, you, Jack. Okay. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, man. All right. All right. Take care. Good talking to you all.